Money FM 89.3, best of workday afternoon. Here on Money FM 89.3, I'm Clarissa Monter of the workday afternoon. World Net Cancer Day is an annual event held on the 10th of November to raise awareness about all types of neuroendocrine tumours or net cancers. An uncommon and probably one of the most frequently misdiagnosed forms of cancer. The average time from onset to diagnosis of net cancer is around seven years. Today we find out more about net cancers on Health Suite. Coming up next on Money FM 89.3. Health Suite with Clarissa Montero on Money FM 89.3. Good afternoon and welcome to Health Suites on Money FM 89.3. I'm Clarissa Montero. On the phone, I am joined by Dr. David Tai. Senior Consultant, Medical Oncologist, National Cancer Centre. Today we mark World Net Cancer Day by getting a better understanding of this type of tumour. Doctor, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Clarissa, for having me here. It is absolutely our pleasure. Now, is it, first of all, neuroendocrine or neuroendocrine tumour? So it's neuroendocrine tumour. Okay, thank you for correcting me. Now, what are they? So neuroendocrine tumours, can form in nearly any organ in the body, wherever they occur, all neuroendocrine tumors originate in neuroendocrine cells. And these are cells that are a combination of nerve cells and hormone-producing endocrine cells. Neuroendocrine tumors can infrequently produce hormones that may cause symptoms. Neuroendocrine tumors can be fast or slow-growing. The biological behavior and the clinical characteristics of neuroendocrine tumors are organ-dependent. For example, majority of patients who are initially diagnosed with pancreatic neuroendocrine tumors have distant spread. In contrast to that, patients with rectal neuroendocrine tumors are usually diagnosed with localized disease that's amenable to surgical cure. In addition, Patients with rectal neuroendocrine tumors almost always do not display any symptoms pertaining to the hormonal products. These are what we call non-functional tumors. On the other hand, patients with small bowel neuroendocrine tumors secrete a host of bioamines that are responsible for symptoms such as diarrhea, flushing, and wheezing. Now, these are what we call functional tumors. While small bowel and lung neuroendocrine tumors, which are usually functional in nature, are the predominant subtype in the the Western countries, pancreatic, rectal, and stomach neuroendocrine tumors are more commonly encountered in our Asian context. Majority of patients with neuroendocrine tumor in Asia are non-functional. So although this entity is rare, they are on the rise. Okay, it's on the rise. Why is that? Is it our diet? Is it a change in lifestyle? So that's a very good question, Clarissa. Um, For the majority of the neuroendocrine tumors, there's really no clear cause has been identified. Traditional cancer risk factors such as exposure to environmental toxins or smoking do not appear to be strongly associated with neuroendocrine tumors. So the, the rise in neuroendocrine tumors could partly be explained by incidental findings. With increasing number of endoscopies that are being done, increasing number of uh, imaging, imaging such as CT scan or MRI that have been done 
for other purposes, and 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 and, and this constitutes the uh, incidental finding, accidental finding for such patients. Okay, does that mean that uh, this type of cancer might get misdiagnosed often? Uh, that's very true, Clarissa. For patients um, who have functional neuroendocrine tumors, they can present uh, with very non-specific symptoms. So, for example, an early and accurate diagnosis is often delayed because those neuroendocrine tumors are small, initially asymptomatic, and often misdiagnosed. And when since symptoms and signs do appear, that they can be quite vague and non-specific. For example, they can have symptoms such as diarrhea, gastric distension, stomach pain, that sometimes can be misdiagnosed as in, uh, irritable bowel syndrome mm. itself. And because of the vague and non-specific symptoms, even in advanced disease, it causes a long time from onset of symptoms. So the actual diagnosis of the neurocrine tumor itself and some reports have made it that the delay can be as long as seven years. Right. So there are some symptoms it shares with, as you mentioned, irritable bowel syndrome, for example. Are there symptoms that are specific to endocrine tumors? Well, there are a whole host of functional neuroendocrine tumors. So, for example, patients with small bowel neuroendocrine tumors can produce a number of uh, bioamines. The predominant bioamine that they produce is serotonin. Now, they present with the following symptoms like diarrhea, flushing, uh, abdominal discomfort. Uh, they, can, they can develop symptoms like lower limb uh, swelling uh, when the heart is being uh, affected. They can present with anxiety and insomnia as well. On the other hand, for patients that, uh, with pancreatic neuroendocrine tumour uh, that produces insulin, and these are a group of patients who present with hypoglycemia. And certainly on the other extreme, there are patients with pancreatic neuroendocrine tumours that pr- produces excessive amounts of glucagon. And these are patients that present with high sugars, diarrhea, as well as skin manifestations as well. Right. We're speaking with Dr. David Tai, Senior Consultant, Medical Oncologist, National Cancer Centre. Correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like this type of cancer presents itself alongside other medical situations. Well, the the symptoms that this uh, group of cancers, functional uh, tumours, can overlap with other medical conditions. Mm -hmm. You're right to say that way. And it is the onus is on the patient as well as the physician when doing a history taking to do a very comprehensive one such they can identify a common track that will make someone, make someone think about this rare entity. Okay, so this is kind of difficult because this is a type of cancer that most of us laymen have no knowledge of, very little understanding of. And the symptoms that you've mentioned, including insomnia and hot flushes and flushing and wheezing and diarrhea could be so many other things. So for the average person like myself, how would I even think that I might need to go and see a doctor for something like this? Well, that's a very pertinent question, Clarissa. So for example, um, if I have incessant diarrhea for a number of years, and that's associated with um, abdominal discomfort, and after a number of, and I've been diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome. Mm-hmm. And after years, I noticed that 
I have started to have water retention in my legs. And, and that should prompt someone to seek medical help because uh, that could very well be small bowel urethane tumor. Or for example, if I am a 50-year-old man and I develop a wheeze and I have been diagnosed with asthma, but after one or two years, I started noticing, noticing incessant cough associated with blood in this future, that could very well mean that I could have a neuroendocrine tumor growing in my lung. So I, I think it is uh, an, an being aware of the symptoms that one has and sharing such symptoms, especially if they become um, too prolonged as well as the, the evolution of the symptoms of the doctors. Okay, so it's again, it goes back to it can take up to seven years to be diagnosed with an endo- a neuroendocrine cancer. At that point, wouldn't it be a pretty late stage? Yeah, so um, due to the uh, rarity as well as the prolonged time that needs to be diagnosed, a, a number of the patients do come uh, present to us when the tumour has already uh, affected other organs beyond the primary organ of involvement. Mm-hmm. But the good thing is that this a majority of uh, patients with this condition tend to pursue a rather indolent cause of disease itself. And there are um, many therapeutic options that are available for this group of patients as of today. Okay, so what you're saying is the cancer moves pretty slowly as opposed to some far more aggressive cancers that we could have. Precisely, Tarissa. Okay, so then what is the prognosis for someone who comes in, say, seven years later? Yeah, so for example, for patients with a small bowel neuroendocrine tumor, uh, and if they do have very advanced disease when they come in, the median survival can sometimes be as long as six to eight years. I suppose that's that's great for a cancer patient, but that doesn't actually sound very long, doctor. Well, I mean, there are increasing therapeutic options, and uh, these this figures will, will change with time, Clarissa. Mm. Okay. We're speaking with Dr. David Tai, Senior Consultant, Medical Oncologist, National Cancer Centre. Talk to us about those therapeutics and all the treatment options. Is it curable? The treatment options that the patient faces depends on a number of factors, disease factors as well as patient factors mm-hmm. itself. So, for example, if the, uh, the, the primary tumor, uh, the neurocrine tumor is localized, surgery will cure the majority of the patients. And even if the patient presents with um, metastatic disease, for example, tumor that has uh, escaped to other parts of the organ, and, and, and in certain patients, they can be subjected to surgery with uh, curative intent as well. But there are other non-surgical treatment options like liver-directed therapy, somatostatin analogs, chemotherapy, targeted therapy and uh, peptide receptor radionuclide therapy that has been shown to be efficacious and shown to confer uh, survival benefit in this group of patients as well. Okay, so what about side effects of these therapeutics and these treatments? Well, naturally, um, the side effects is something that uh, would certainly concern patients and encouragingly, uh, with the advance in, in medical science as well as uh, drug development, the side effects that one perceives of treatment for patients with cancer is something that is increasingly less so with the treatment uh, that we have that is able to target the tumour with, with quite uh, precise terms. Any cancer has a propensity to be found in either 
women, more women than men or more men than women in certain age groups. Is this one of those cancers? So the data actually differs between which data set that you look at. Mm-hmm. At least in the, in, in the data sets from the United States, it does seem that women, there's a predilection among the females. Okay. But in data sets in Asia, the distribution is fairly equal. Okay, so it is actually different. There is a there is a divergence in in what your findings from the US to Asia. Definitely, and and, and our institution, the National Cancer Center, did publish a paper uh, describing our our experience with this condition as well. And it is different from what uh, has been reported in the literature in the United States and in Europe. Does it present itself in a specific age group? No, it does not as well. The median age of patients with this condition is slightly below age of 60. Okay, so it, it could be someone in their 30s. It could. So the, 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 the range of age was between 18 to 91. 18 to 91? That's correct. That is a huge range. It is a huge range. So what... Would someone who might be concerned that their symptoms, their recurring symptoms, might be a net tumour, do they go directly to an oncologist? Do they go see their their GPs first? What would be their first course of action? My my advice would be because this is such a, a rare condition, mm-hmm. uh, but awareness is paramount for this condition, uh, and so and together with a heightened awareness for someone who who think that they may have this condition, I would advise them to speak to their general practitioners, their family physicians, or if they're seeing a specialist for another condition, to discuss and describe what they actually go through on a day-to-day basis. And with the doctor's help, with the doctor's help they will dissect the symptoms together and see whether other tests need to be conducted to prove or disprove uh, whether the patient's having this condition. Okay. Uh, speaking as, as a potential patient myself, I go to my GP, I, I outline, you know, the symptoms that I'm having. Most of the time, the GP doesn't automatically think cancer. The, you know, it would take several visits before they think, hmm, maybe we should do a, a few more additional tests. What if they encounter that? Do they, do they push a little bit harder with their doctors to, hey, maybe you should be looking at this? Yeah, so that's a great question, Clarissa. So first and foremost, I would advise most patients to see the same general practitioner or doctor with, this, with, this, with the symptoms rather than uh, doing a doctor hopping. Because if the same doctor sees you after two to three consults, then they may not dismiss the symptoms that you're experiencing um, um, as something that is benign. So, and, and with familiarity and trust built, you know, then most doctors uh, will start thinking about something that, uh, that is... Um, that may not be too apparent uh, at the beginning. All right. We've been speaking with Dr. David Tai, Senior Consultant, Medical Oncologist at the National Cancer Centre, learning more about net tumours. Doctor, thank you so much for the time and for the information. Thank you so much, Clarissa. I'm Clarissa Montero. This is Health Suites on Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.